The following episode contains major spoilers for a Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition publication. Listener discretion is advised. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Legend Lore, the podcast series where two dungeon masters flip through one Dungeons & Dragons book at a time, giving their insights on the pros and cons of the publication in question. I'm Adam, and with me, for reasons I will explain in just a moment, is no one. And today, we, myself and no one, are going over my thoughts on the Wizards of the Coast product, Dragonlance, Shadow of the Dragon Queen. Now, normally there's two of us and we pass the book back and forth and we bounce ideas off of each other, but there's been a huge blizzard happening over the last week or so. I live on top of a mountain and there's about two and a half feet of snow immediately outside my door. What that means is that I can't get anybody up here. Because it's a brand new book, we've got to be able to pass it back and forth. Um, I don't support the idea of piracy or the PDFs out there, unless it's the official PDFs that you can buy off of DMs Guild. Um, But I really feel like it's important to tackle this specific book right now because it's Christmas time, and by the time this comes out, um, there will be a lot of people out there with... Christmas money and they're going to be looking at D&D books and this is the bright shiny new thing and do we buy it or not. Um, Also there's a deluxe edition version that has a DM screen and a board game in it. Now I can't comment on the quality of the board game. I know a lot about board games. I play board games frequently with Dave, Dan, Terry, James, Kyle, uh, and our buddy Justin. We get together semi-frequently to play board games, um, all of varying degrees, everything from little party card games like Exploding Kittens and Flux, all the way up to more complicated games like Scythe and Terraforming Mars. We've got a lot of uh, thoughts about different games and the way to play, and um, we've got a pretty extensive experience and history with board games, but there are some brand new mechanics with this deluxe edition that have come out that tie it right into the adventure book itself so that you're taking a pause out of the campaign, porting your players and their characters into the board game because this campaign apparently is set against the backdrop of a war and you play the board game with different conditions and whatnot apparently through I believe a dozen or so different scenarios which should impact your campaign. So you're consistently going to play these mini games. This is all well and good, but that's well over 200 bucks Canadian. Um, so it's fairly damned expensive, and we have to make sure that the book itself, because it's being sold separately, but the board game is not, is the book worth it? The only way to get the board game and the DM screen is in this deluxe set for 200 bucks. but you can buy the book separately, and I'm curious, is this worth it? Should you be spending your Christmas money on this? So I don't feel like this can wait. Um, so I'm recording this a couple of days before Christmas, and we're going to release it in the last week of 2022. So I hope everyone has, has, at this point, had a safe and happy holidays. And let's dig into Dragonlance, Shadow of the Dragon Queen. Now, normally this is where we sit down to talk about what we hope to see in this book. And I don't have a whole lot of hopes for this book, not because I'm hopeless about it, but because I don't know what to expect out of it. I'm looking for some good things about war, but I don't think we'll get actual war mechanics because that will be covered by the board game. 
Uh, I'm looking for some decent um, world building because Dragonlance is a very popular and a very rich setting, but it's also very limited. You're not finding things, as far as I'm aware, like um, Aarakocra and Plasmoids and some of the stranger um, playable races, or I guess it's actually been announced by now they're going to swap to species moving forward. It, thank God they listened to our podcast, apparently. Um, but it's very much um, humans and elves and goblins and like your standard fantasy races. Um, I also know that Wizards of the Coast has a complicated past with um, the creators of Dragonlance, and I'm not going to comment on that today. I have my own opinions, but we're going to see if this book stands alone as well as the Critical Role books have done, um, Keith Baker's Eberron has done, will this stand up to to that quality? Um, I do have a concern, and that concern is that this book reintroduces Kender. So, as I'm flipping through this, I'm going to be keeping an eye on kind of like what kind of bullshit they're coming up with, because Kender was a nonsense race in the past. For those of you who don't know, in previous editions, Kender were halflings, I guess, that... Um, that were essentially kleptomaniacs, and it was built right into their lore with the idea that they do not understand personal boundaries or the concept of ownership. If you have it in your hand, it's yours. They don't understand how something can belong to someone else. This created a whole lot of problems for a whole lot of tables, for a whole lot of players, um, when a kender would show up and just start stealing group loot. Or, I go to draw my sword. No, you don't. I have it. I rolled it stealth check before and I got it while you were asleep and that's just how Kender worked it was very confrontational um and they're back in this book now I think Wizards of the Coast knows the reputation that Kenders have um and they're going to try to steer away from that but how far away from that can you get before you're actually going to piss off the diehard Dragonlance fans so the other thing um like, this isn't like a, a Hadozi situation with Spelljammer, right? Where it's a wizard's product and, and there's not like there's all these Spelljammer books and people have been following this for decades and there's this big canon and whatnot. Um, Kender do have that. So it's like if you were going to sit down and watch Willow and they all of a sudden decided, you know what, we're not going to make him um, uh, one of the, the shorter people anywhere. He's going to be six foot tall just because, you know, everybody's going to be quote unquote equal, which seems to be how fucking fifth ed is going or one D&D is heading where everything is just one basic quote-unquote equality because that's not at all what it look that's not the point of this conversation I'm curious to see what they're going to do with Kender also as far as I can tell they've got a picture of Lord Soth on the front and while I don't know much about Dragonlance I do love myself some Lord Soth he is a death knight I know a little bit about his own personal backstory and it's tragic and all the most beautiful like fairy tale ways of just like a corrupted soul with tragedy after tragedy befalling him. Um, but this Shadow of the Dragon Queen, I don't know anything about the Dragon Queen. As far as I know, there is another parable for the Bahamut and Tiamat, um, uh, like equivalent in Dragonlance. As far as I remember, uh, Fizban from Fizban's Treasury of Dragons. Uh, Fizban is actually the Dragonlance version of Bahamut. And I believe, I want to say off the top of my head, I'm not sure that I've got this right, but we'll we'll see in a moment here, that the Dragonlance version of Tiamat is Tachesis. And I think I'm saying it appropriately the same way that uh, you say Lachesis, um, the, uh, who's one of the three fates. So I think that's kind of the pronunciation. But again, I'm not a Dragonlance guy. 
Um, there are a couple of people, Jeff and Dan, and I think, um, I don't know if it's Tyler or Brad. There's, there's a third person on the podcast, um, maybe even Kyle, who know some of this stuff. Um, I don't. And so this is kind of from an outsider's perspective, digging into this. Um, I, I hope that this is going to be an informative uh, episode for everybody. Um, but we're really just kind of uh, shoving it in to make sure that you guys have kind of a perspective. Because when I was looking this up myself, I couldn't find any information on Dragonlance. Like the basic Watsy nonsense. But everybody out in the community is talking about 1D&D. And yeah, that's big. That's important. But we still have at least a year off from that shit. And It's a Mimic is going to be focusing on 5th edition and solely 5th edition until they stop publishing 5th edition material. So we're devoted to this and keeping an eye on 1D&D. Um, I'll, I think I'm going to babble a little bit after the end credits about our perspective on 1D&D moving forward. Because um, that actually does really apply to the Legend Lore series. Um, but let's jump in to Dragonlance Shadow of the Dragon Queen. So... Looking at the cover here, like I say, we had Lord Soth in the front. There's also what looks like a Grey Slod, who may or may not be... No, I think just standing behind some half-dragons. Um, there is some dude... I can't tell if that is a drow or an undead riding a red dragon. Um, there are a couple other red dragons. There are three more with riders on them uh, on the back cover. And it looks... Oh, shit, there's a bunch in the background on the front cover, too. Well, there you go. Um, but there's also the idea of, um, you get the impression of a burning cityscape or maybe a castle or a keep, um, kind of in the background. Uh, here we go. Tachesis. <laughs> yeah, I did it right in the back. This is right in the back cover. Um, enlist in the war of the lands. Tachesis, the dragon queen has returned to the world of Kryn. Just the same way the Toril is the world of the Forgotten Realms, Kryn is the world of Dragonlance. Across the land, her armies of fanatical draconians wage a brutal war of conquest, as the dragon armies march on the unprepared nation of Solomnia, only the defenders of the city of Calaman stand in their way. But the dragon armies want more than just to crush their foes. An ancient evil in the Dragon Queen's service seeks a magical weapon that could dominate Kryn for all time. So, big, 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 high, high, high stakes. This is going to be bigger than Dragon Heist, bigger than Mad Mage. This is um, bigger than Baldur's Gate um, or the... Uh, Rime of the Frost Maiden, all of the little adventures that are published, those little like three to six level adventures that are published um, in all the campaign settings seem to be these high stakes for you personally, for your characters, but not, you know, end of the world. This sounds end of the world. So um, I'm looking forward to this. This so far is set up to be grander in scope, and I like that. Uh, will it be able to do that without the board game? Cracking it open. Oh, I love the sound of cracking open a book for the first time. Um, it is interesting. I'm just sitting here talking about the board game. Um, the cover page on the inside, um, the title page, just has a picture of a dragon-like game piece to it. Now, this might be like within the lore itself, but uh, that doesn't fill me with a whole lot of hope right off the bat. Uh, the alternate cover for this is fucking snazzy. But I'll tell you, there's actually a third cover for it, which is a foil cover of the of the regular standard cover um, that's in the board game box. So there are three different books. Uh, the regular cover, the alternative cover, which is Lord Soth just looking metal as all fuck. And then the, uh, literally and figuratively, and then also the um, board game version, which is, 
kind of like uh, like the Magic the Gathering foils are, or like um, Pokemon card foils are. Um, it kind of has that feel to it, but it's the same image on the front of the standard book. Uh, project lead is F. Wesley Schneider. Um, I am looking for our regular names. Our Chris Perkins, which I... Okay, he's Game Architect. Uh, that's good. We've got Jeremy Crawford, Rules Developer, and also a Game Architect. Um, I am... I'm going to have to learn who a lot of these people are because I see... I see a lot of names that I don't recognize, uh, and I feel at this point in my D&D, my 5th edition career, I should fucking have that down, so. Um, but, uh, on the alt cover it says, um, okay, on this cover it says, Dragons, Draconians, and other servants of the Dragon Queen. So maybe those weren't half-dragons, maybe those were Draconians. Uh, prepare for their invasion of Caliban in this painting by Cynthia Shepard. Uh, it's beautiful. Uh, Cynthia, because uh, I, I know you listen to this podcast, you've done a great job. Uh, <laughs> but on the alt cover, the grim visage of the Death Knight Lord Soth, Knight of the Black Rose, glares from the tangle of charred thorns in this cover by Chase Stone, which is badass. Disclaimer. The dragon armies cannot ensure that owners of this book will not have their lives repurposed in the surface in the service of the Dragon Queen's glorious will. Promises to the contrary should be considered best-case scenarios, not statements of certainty. Thank you for supporting the Dragon Armies and the cataclysmic bright future for all of Kryn. Wow, that's dark. So, so everything on the front of the cover. I guess, I guess we often get bad guys on the front covers of these books, but I mean, we're leaning into the evil, evil, evil. Um, the contents page is "War Comes to Kryn," um, and there's a bunch of there's like twenty pages of. Using this book, the history, uh, the dragon armies, the war of the lance. So you're getting a lot of rich lore. Religion of the end of the gods. You have gods of good, gods of neutrality, and gods of evil. Um, I'm just looking through it quickly. Um, these all have, like, without me knowing anything specifically about it, um, these all have pretty decent looking, um, like, standard god names for D&D. Uh, like Gillian and... Uh, Lunatari, and uh, Majir, and uh, Morgion, and like, these, these are just good god names, I like it. They all look like they have like a quarter of a page blurb on them, depending on how much uh, art is in this area as well. Then there's character creation, which gets into the peoples of Kryn. Jesus, I said, yeah, elves before, but it's just dwarves, elves, gnomes, and humans, and then Kender. There's a couple new organizations, each one of them has a background tied to them, and then there are feats and one new sorcerer subclass. Um, chapter two is the Prelude to War, which gives you the running the adventure area, an adventure flow chart. Holy shit, I'm looking. And a pronunciation guide. Well, shit. This is all right. Three different preludes. Hmm. I am suddenly very hopeful that this is an excellent book. Um, I really hope that it lives up to these sections. Uh, chapter three, When the Home Burns, running this chapter. Okay, so... I could tell by the little subheadings in here, like arriving in Vogler and final farewell, parting gift, the Kingfisher Festival. This is a campaign now. Chapter three is a campaign. We go from when home burns, shadow of war, the northern wastes, city of lost names, and siege of Calamon. So it looks like we get all the way there. This is a 137 page adventure, uh, which means that it is technically smaller than your average adventure book, but there's also like. I think this is a campaign book that couldn't figure out if it was a campaign setting or an adventure module. We saw the same damn thing in Spelljammer, and it was really interesting to see that. 
uh, how they split it up, where one third was the information about the uh, the world, and one third was the actual campaign, and then one third was the uh, bestiary. Now, Spelljammer should have done a bit more of the heavy lifting on the lore. Um, it was a little bit light. Honestly, the whole thing was a little bit light. We are getting what looks like a decent 34, 34 pages of what you need to know as a player coming into this. Um, and then a good solid 12 pages of uh, campaign prelude for the DM before we actually kick into the thing itself. That's not a lot. Uh, this whole book is 224 pages. I really miss the 280 to 320 page tomes that I've seen in the past. Um, and I want that fleshed out with lore. Um, I want that fleshed out with a couple more things to do. What levels is this supposed to get us to? Uh, does it say... I'm sure I can find that in the future, okay. And then we have gear and magic items for a couple of pages, and then friends and foe, the bestiary here is 18 pages long. Uh, and it looks like a lot of it's draconians and dragon elves and dragon army troops and lots of shit for peps and terry. Uh, we have a new kind of dragon. That's sexy as fuck. But it looks like it's not wormling, young, adult, ancient, and great worm. Um, which is what we've seen up until now. This is lesser and greater. We'll get into that later. And then it's got, ooh, sidekicks. Oh, these are actually like NPC sidekicks. Not like sidekicks. Oh, well, there's sidekick levels, maybe. Story concept art for a couple of pages and then maps at the end. Oh, I just flipped to the back. Yeah, there's a big-ass map. Okay, so opening it up. War comes to Kryn. This has got some... It looks like the basic theme here, um, just from the artwork and the fact that there's a little a little piece of parchment um, art here as well with uh, some cursive written on it, is that pe people are writing back and forth to each other. Um, there is before the cataclysm, the cataclysm, and after the cataclysm uh, sections. I don't know. Was a cataclysm a thing? Did they call it that in Critical Role as well? I feel like the cataclysm is old Dragonlance lore from the very little I know about it. Um, like, there were a bunch of novels, and the Cataclysm was part of the early stages of the novels, and then and we've seen a bunch of stuff since then. Um, talks about the Age of Starbirth, when the gods forged the world from primordial chaos. So we get we get a good deep dive. We have, there's a creation myth in there. Uh, even as Ancelon healed, a new threat grew with the, the Dragon Queen's return. Then there's a section on dragon armies. Um, uh, during this book's adventures, heroes have the opportunities, this is a little sidebar, um, to influence clashes between mighty armies. If you have Dragonlance Warriors of Kryn game, you can play out certain dramatic battles using that game, though it isn't required. If you use that game, this book's adventure will point you to sidebars like this one that detail when to use the board game and which mass combat scenarios affect the adventure. Not every one of the game scenarios appear in the book, Dragonlance Warriors of Kryn also provides details on how to play D&D characters in its scenarios, as well as other hero players, um, as well as other heroes players can play in it. So you can play it, I guess, without the campaign too, which is great for the board game. We'll have to investigate that in the future. Uh, the War of the Lance. Holy shit, it's like a short little timeline. It looks like this was a three-year war, and it kind of breaks down uh, through uh, 348 AC, which is uh, after the Cataclysm. Up to three, oh yeah, through three fifty one A.C. Um, life on Ancelon. Oh, uh, Ancelon is a continent. Um, that is cool art that we have here. There's rare languages. Uh, we've got mentions of ogres, minotaurs, uh, goblins, fey creatures, and elementals. 
Uh, this is just from the rare languages uh, section as well. I get the impression that there's a lot of like countries, like humans and elves and dwarves have multiple realms. I've got a picture of a giant, like, holy shit, like a giant um, five-headed dragon. So this looks like Tiamat. Um, Takesis, the dragon queen, turns her attention from eastern Ancelon towards the city of Calamon. Um, like, each one of these head dwarfs the castle. Like, this is a huge god involved here. Wartime rumors, city of Calamon. Oh, okay. Uh, so that game piece I mentioned earlier, looks like these are game pieces, or rather, uh, pieces you move on the map. Like, I think Game of Thrones, when they were moving armies on the map, they used to do this in medieval times quite a bit. Um, you can, they've got renaming for all of the months, um, as well as the different days of the week. For example, uh, Monday is Palace, what is it today? It's uh, Tuesday in December when this comes out. So this would be a mage tag in Frost Cult. Do you guys ever dig into that shit? I, like, I did it in my campaign, and Dan kind of got mildly interested in it. Um, it's good to know that it's there, but nobody ever digs into it. Anyway, um, how the currency works. It looks like they got rid of uh, Electrum. Uh, wartime rumors. Information on the Kalaman region and the city. Religion and the gods. Um, big old list of what province that they see over. Like, uh, Bronchala is music. And uh, Kirijolith is honor and war, and Sirion is change and fire. You'll notice these are not the cleric domains like they normally give us when they give us a huge god list here. Really interesting, and that feels like an oversight. It wouldn't have killed them to make a fifth column. We've got, you know, their names, and then their alignment, their province, and then their common symbol. We could have had a fifth one. Standard cleric domains like that wouldn't have been fucking hard to do gods of good oh they each get a paragraph because this is all artwork for their symbols this is a whole lot less than i thought it would be here is an example um lunatari lunatari the god of neutral magic and illusions is patron of the mages of high high sorceries order of the red robes and other neutral mages with her cousins solinari and Nuatari, so I assume that there's a good one, an evil one, and a yeah, and a neutral one. She watches over the people of Kryn from the heavens, conveying her power through the red moon that shares her name. She appears as a trickster figure in mythology, using her mastery of illusions to fool gods and heroes alike. I guess that is just barely enough for a cleric, a player who is playing a cleric, to choose which god. Without having any real details, the DM's going to have to do some heavy lifting on this. Um, but are they relying on us to go through like a Dragonlance wiki? Does such a thing exist? Hold on. Does such a thing exist? Here's one of the benefits of sitting here by myself. Is I can do research. Dragonlance wiki. Yep, dragonlance.fandom.com. There's a Dragonlance wiki. How extensive is it? 8,492 articles. Where this book lacks in lore, you can find it online. Kind of shitty. I think that right there, this is going to give you... It, you're buying this book because you're a fan of Dragonlance or because you're a fan of dragons. Terry, who's currently running Horde of the Dragon Queen, um, if this book came out earlier, he might have chosen this one, not knowing anything about Dragonlance, and this book gives barely fucking enough information. It's like at the beginning of Candlekeep where it gave almost no lore on Candlekeep itself and then everything else was just like adventures out in the world. 
it had very little tie to Candlekeep, the same way that Tales from the Yawning Portal had very little tie to the Yawning Portal itself. Um, I don't know how I feel about that. This feels like it's because the information is out there already. They're assuming that you can just go find it on your own. Um, weak. I, I do not like. Anyway, God's neutrality, God's of evil. Oh, look at all of the different symbols that are evil looking. Character creation. Jesus. Okay, so now that I've complained a little bit, uh, the artwork in this looks not only beautiful, but reminiscent of classic fantasy art as well. Um, I'm actually super freaking impressed. There's a whole bunch of uh, adventurers, it looks like. Heroes of some sort that look very noble. And they're all wearing what looks like armor together, like like matching armor. And they're standing over a dead dragon as a building in the back, a couple of buildings in the background burn. Interesting. Very beautiful. Peoples of Crin. But, I mean, we don't buy these for the art, right? Um, Peoples of Crin. So breaks it down really quickly. It still is breaking out the difference between mountain dwarves and hill dwarves. Um, high elves. Ooh, there's two different kinds of high elves. And wood elves. So, like, you get the impression that there's a full continent here. There's sea elves. There are just one little... There's one, two, three, four paragraphs on gnomes. Um, it's nice to actually get artwork of a gnome legitimately tinkering, though. That's that's pretty good. Um, and then humans have a bunch of... They've got four main paragraphs here that are, like, different lands that humans come from. As well as other lands as well. So... Um, humans, humans, more humans, and more humans. So again, like, it's mostly humans. This is a human-centric, um, setting. Pretty standard fantasy crap with... There's a, there are three different kinds of elves from three different, like, regions. A couple of different kinds of dwarves. And then a whole shit ton of humans. And by the way, gnomes as well. Um, race option. Creating your character, uh, Kender. Humanoid, small... 30 feet. We're going to dig into this in a future episode, so I'm just going to skim it now. Um, like one of the regular podcast episodes. we got to come up with a name for that. The actual It's a Mimic podcast where three DMs sit down and yell dick jokes at each other. Uh, once you succeed in a single this way, case of fearless, can draft to taunt. It doesn't look like you have got anything about stealing shit. Um... They have a supernatural curiosity that drives them to adventure. Due to this inquisitiveness, many Kender find themselves falling through portals to other planes and worlds. Oh, good. Let's write right into the lore that Kenders show up everywhere. Fuck. Um, some might collect mundane knickknacks or relics from magical sites, while others might become professional thieves. So they're leaning into the idea of adventurer and, like, kind of rogue. Uh, but this isn't nearly as kleptomaniacal as it has been in the past. I'm okay with that. Um, makes them feel less unique. Like, I feel like this could have been a subclass of halfling, but here we are. Um, information on the organizations. Um, cool. There's a bunch of, there's like three or four pages on this. Some bonus feats. Um, when you make a character for a Dragonlance campaign, choose one of the backgrounds in this section. Or select a background from the PHB or another source. Sure, okay. Whatever background you choose for a character in Dragonlance campaign, you gain bonus feats as detailed below. Um, you get one at first level. If your background doesn't provide a feat, you get to choose either skilled or tough from the player's handbook. You get one at fourth level as well. Um, and there are a lot that are listed out here, these different feats. Um, however, you can also sub them in with uh, alert. Mobile, Sentinel, 
or Warcaster from the player's handbook, if you like those better. Okay, you know what? I don't hate that. I don't hate that. That's interesting. Um, you're going to feel like superhumans, but then again, there's how many red dragons on the cover? You might need to be. You might need to be superheroes for this. Um, we have a new kind of sorcerer. That is the lunar sorcery. Um, and ray of sickness, blindness, deafness, vampiric touch, confusion, and hold monster. Are there spells? Oh, it's a new moon spells. Oh, oh, full moon spells, new moon spells, and crescent moon spells. Interesting that they get... Yeah, you choose which one after a long rest. Which spell list after a long rest. That's really cool. Weird that fucking moonbeam isn't on here. Huh. Anyway. Oh, fucking more badass artwork. I feel like maybe they spend a significant portion of their budget on um, on the artwork. Dragon Highmaster Consoldi Fire Eyes. Consoldi Fire Eyes. I'll be keeping an eye out for that name. I gotta find out who this motherfucker is. He's riding. He's the guy in the cover who's riding the red dragon. Um, leading the evil army is clearly great dragon art in this, but it seems to be all red dragons. Is that a, is that a Dragonlance thing? One of you Dragonlance experts out there, let me know. Are there other kinds of dragons? I mean, Takesis has the five dragon heads. Are there metallic? Is that like, what, what are we looking at for Dragonlance? I'm sure there's no gem dragons. Uh, adventure flow chart. It kind of breaks out. Um, okay. So from first level characters through to 10th level or higher. Um, so that's a good range. Chapter two is first level. Chapter three is second or third. Chapter four is fourth or fifth and so on and so forth. Chapter seven is 10th or higher. All right. I'm looking at this, uh, section here. This is like running the adventure, uh, how to use the maps, interior maps, poster map, so on and so forth. Um, the different chapter two, chapter three, chapter four. So that thing I said about, oh, hey, there's preludes and whatnot. Um, like that's background. It's actually for level one play. So I think that it is kind of a quick summary and then level one characters. Um, there's a section here for different dragon queens threat for draconians. Oh, consoldi fire eyes. Uh, dragon high master. Consoldi is a woman. Excuse me. I missed fucking gendered based on art you can never tell when they got long hair and thick breastplate like that like the art is really generic it's far away you can't tell i made the assumption shame on me for making that assumption so uh but draconians consulty fire eyes and lord soth all get about a half page spread here um character connections um includes meeting uh an npc or an invitation to a funeral there's a pretty solid pronunciation guide. Let me make sure I got this. Where's uh, Takesis? I got right. Um, what else did I get? Uh, Kalaman, I got right. Um, Consoldi, Fire Eyes, I got right. Okay, all right. I'm not doing too badly on this. It's okay. I'm all right. Points for Adam. Let's pump my tires a bit. Uh, different preludes. Uh, prelude over the overview. There's three different encounters. Oh, this is neat. There's this tiny little table here on page 42 uh, with prelude overviews uh, for three different encounters. Focal characters. The first one focuses on clerics, druids, paladins, and other characters with God-given powers. The second one is sorcerers, warlocks, wizards, or others seeking membership to the mages of high sorcery. And scales of war is for anybody else. Interesting. Well, the gods are going to play a big part in this, and this, I think, is high magic as well. This is all right. This is okay. Cool. Um, and then you get, oh, each one of these little encounters gets about a page. 
I don't mind this. This is all right. It's not quite as extensive as what they gave us with um, Rime of the Frost Maiden, where we had 10 towns with a whole bunch of different plot hooks and stuff. Uh, but it's definitely better than kind of their early work, which was just, if you want, you can show up in Barovia walking on the street. Who knows? Right? Um, we've got a bunch of cool artwork still. A lot of cool dragon people. These are the Draconians. Draconians look like really beefy dragonborn with wings and tails, um, and I think that they're all just evil. That's kind of what the artwork is telling me here. Uh, when the home burns, you uh, start off in the city of Vogler. Uh, it does not look made, I think it's a township. It does not look very big. Um, and then there are a handful of NPCs, some pretty artwork that looks like there's a little festival. Um, ooh, somebody caught a fish. That's cute. Um, now... I'm trying, see, we, we do this and we try not to give a whole bunch of spoilers, A, so that you can enjoy the, okay, they are firing somebody off of a catapult in this one. I'm sorry, not a catapult, the gnome flinger. I am strangely aroused. Um, so Terry would fucking love that. Now this is the campaign Terry should be running just because there's a gnome flinger and dragons. There you are. Um, what was I saying? Yeah, the we we try not to give spoilers um, because a you want to experience this yourself, and I know that most of you listening to this uh, are players, not DMs. So I, I don't like spoiling too much. That is a fat belly on an ogre, um, but also we also don't want to get hit with the copyright infringement or any of that shit. So we tend to go generic. I love the shadow of war. Looks like an army marching. Message for a maid reporting for duty. The first mission. That looks chaotic. That looks like a gnome inventor defends her home from dragon army goblins. And is just like a whole bunch of trinkets harassing goblins outside of a small stone building. Very cool artwork. That was a little cartoony. It's not as epic or as classic as the other art, but it's very evocative. It's very cool. Uh, Solemnic knights mysteriously arrive in Calamon. Interesting. Uh, they look undead. Uh, they've got a black rose on a white banner, and I think that means Lord Soth is coming. So, um, we get glimpses of Lord Soth, Lord Soth's memories. That's cool. You get to explore a little bit of Lord Soth's background in this. Very cool. Yeah, some undead night stuff. Uh, Northern Wastes is the next chapter. Chapter 5. Very very cool. Is that a... Hold on, hold on. I gotta go back. That looks like a hex map. Like an overland hex map. Character advancement. In this chapter, the characters advance from 6th to 8th level as they traverse the northern wastes. So, spoiler alert for the next couple of minutes here. Yeah, let's look at this mechanic right here because they've got something that looks like it's milestone, but it's, it's a little bit more... Detailed on that, the characters gain a level after completing three adventuring locations in the Northern Wastes. The characters gain a level if they accomplish an extraordinary feat, such as rescuing the Bronze Dragon Egg. So there are Bronze Dragons, I like that, uh, from Camp Carrion Clay. Uh, the characters gain a level once they find the passage leading to the City of Lost Names. Which doesn't mean anything to me, but it's interesting that that's how they've chosen to level. A couple of pages later, you get this massive map. Looks like a hex grid. Each hex is six miles. Um, I don't see roads. There's a place called the Eastern Maze. Um, the looks like the further north you go, the more wastelandy it gets. So like there's Calaman Bay with Calaman, 
the city right in the bay. And then on the far side of the bay, um, there's a little bit of forested area and then it turns into wasteland. Like with names such as Barrow Ridge and Worm Gut and Deep Draught. So I guess you're going in there. Um, <laughs> gear up. Give your players some shopping time before they do that. Yeah, because I flipped the page and there's a corpse right beside the title Exploring the Wastes. Uh, there's an elven encampment up there. Um, looks like sea elves as well. Some slod, a red slod covered in slod tadpoles. Beauty. Not even gonna get into that spoilery nonsense, but that's fun as fuck. Um, so far, this looks like a really fun adventure, just based on the art, the titles, and I'm flipping through it pretty quickly. So I can't comment on um, the progression or of like the overall story arc or necessarily the balance, but it looks like you're getting a lot of... See, there's a lot of information here for a DM. I think you still have to do the specific heavy lifting yourself, um, but I get... Like, here's a section, and again, this is late in the in the adventure at this point, but like we're a little past the midway point, but uh, attack on wind's end. One of the NPCs launches an attack on someone else, uh, whatever the characters choose. When the characters are in position and the Calamon forces attack the, uh, the dragon army camp, read the following. And then it gives you a blurb to read out. Uh, three officers remain here with a dragon army dragon in a pen. Um, and then you can actually do a uh, scenario seven in the warriors of Kryn board game. Uh, according to the sidebar, winds and battlefield features. There are crates, there are dragon L pens, there's the fray. So they give you a little map here that is very small. You're not going to be able to point your players at it, but it gives you as a DM everything you need to know about the setting so that you can actually uh, build out this battle map on like a larger grid. Um, and uh, different battlefield events that happen, you roll on a D10 table. Um, uh, one to four is a specific event, five to seven, eight, nine. And then a 10. Um, and then, you know what would be neat is choosing to run through all of these things. Like, uh, I tend to put my players through the paces because we have super long uh, sessions and whatnot. So for someone who's running a two-hour session on a Thursday night, yeah, maybe you roll one of these to get through to move on to the next plot point. But for someone like me who plays six or more hours uh, every other Sunday, I'll have the ability to prep this ahead of time. And then have a couple of these events going on so the world feels deeper and more chaotic. That is definitely something to think about with this book. We didn't necessarily get it broken out that way. Like, here are the different options of things that you can do. We saw it sometimes, but I'm glad it's included in this book. Uh, because it's supposed to be a fairly extensive campaign. And yet, if we... What page am I on? Starting chapter 6. If we go back and we look at it, um, that Northern Waste section was less than 30 pages long. And they're supposed to level twice in 30 pages, maybe even three times. That's that's asking a lot. So there's a, that's asking a lot from the DM because there's clearly not enough material or specifics in there. We're not getting a dungeon crawl breakdown that I've seen anyway that goes like we've seen in other modules where it's like section 34B. Uh, is this room, uh, 34C is this room, 34D is a hidden passage attached to 34C, right? And you have a basic map that you have uh, of like a dungeon and then these descriptions. Dungeon of the Mad Mage had this, uh, Rhyme of the Frost Maiden had this, a, a lot of them did. Curse of Strahd has this, 
Um, but this doesn't seem to really do a dungeon dive yet. Um, that's going location by location. Uh, it's just giving you more. Okay, so I, now that I've said that, there's one here, but it's very small. There's like nine sections in a small little, a very, very small little dungeon. Um, and I think you're in and out of it, yeah, relatively quickly, and then on to more stuff in this chapter. Like, that's not even the whole chapter, whereas it would have been in other books, right? That would have been a big, sprawling um, dungeon crawl. We're not getting dungeon crawls in this so much. Um, there's a little bit of a flavor that peppered in here and there, but now for the most part, they're definitely focusing on the war, on going out and interacting with NPCs. Um, we have gotten into the city of lost names where there are city sites, city encounters, interrogations. We get information about dragon army engineers and monster hunters. This is a campaign, but it is also a campaign setting. As you read it, the campaign setting seems to flesh out the campaign more, and vice versa. This might be actually a pretty good hybrid of the two. Again, there are no specific details for me to really dive into without having done a really deep read into this, and I think that dragonlands.fandom.com, their wiki, um, which is unofficial, by the way, that's a fan wiki, um, but I think you're going to be able to flesh out a lot of your lore and information and whatnot. Um, but yeah, here's another small, like it's a building. There's ground floor, it's a mansion, ground floor and second floor. So it's got a layout there about what's in each, so your players are meant to go in and look around. But it's not a dungeon crawl um, like we've seen before in previous areas, like uh, Tales of the, from the Yawning Portal. Uh, is just and Ghosts of Saltmarsh. They're just dungeon crawly all the way through it. This seems to have a far larger scope. What the fuck is a dusk walker? That's creepy looking. I like that. More plant monsters, please. Um, really evocative artwork from very interesting and very specific locations. There we go. That's a non-red dragon that you'll have to deal with at some point. Is that a green dragon well you have my attention um there's a thing here called soth's ascent and i'm very happy about it it's very short i don't think like he's ascending to godhood but like neat uh siege of calaman that is a flying f that is an island with a massive flying fortress hovering above what looks like a like an army ready to lay siege cool so this is really the day of dread the night of terror the battle of calaman Neat, with a floating city and flying draconians, because all the draconians have wings. You can imagine, this is going to be big, epic, um, like, dragon rider war that you'll be... Yep, yeah, sure enough, I flipped the page. There's a dragon. Are these dragon elves? They look like they're smaller, simpler dragons with, with armor plating. Um, interesting. Flying citadel. There's a, such a thing as death dragons, which we'll jump into. Some undead nonsense here. Uh, ooh, lots of cool shit. Uh, sorry, I'm flipping pages now because it is all spoilerific. Uh, as spoilerific as you can get. Lots of good shit in here. So, let me keep flipping gear and magic items. Uh, there is a... Oh, neat. Um, there's a backpack with what looks like hot air balloons that come out to help you, like, float or fly, I guess. A couple of different backpack items. A gnome siege weapon that looks like it's... Uh, in the shape of a dragon, it's probably a battering ram. It's on wheels, and it looks metal and pretty hefty, but it's got a fire. Like, uh, it's clearly smoking. There's some sort of engine inside of it. Um, it's called a boiler drack. Uh, one of the magic items is called a dragon lance. Interesting. Um, it's a good thing it wasn't a 
Dragon Glaive. Uh, friends and foes, different random encounters that you can do. Um, everything here. Okay, so here are the new dragons. Death dragons. If shadow dragons weren't deathy enough, and if Dracoliches have too much intelligence for you, there's death dragons. Uh, the lesser one is a large undead. Um, these are chaotic evil, typically. Uh, an intelligence of minus three. So that's an intelligence of five. So the modifier is negative three. Um, and again, we will do an episode on the regular podcast and the It's a Mimic podcast for this um, in the future. The greater death dragon has an intelligence of 11. So that's a plus zero modifier. So these are not the brilliant masterminds that we are used to. They seem to be, yeah, they're undead skeletal remains of metallic or chromatic dragons infused with the lingering fires of the cataclysm by foul magic. That's why there's lesser and there's greater. Draconians seem to be a new kind of, yeah, dragon race because, for fuck's sakes, we didn't have enough of them. Dragon elves are distantly related to chromatic and metallic dragons and resemble them in basic form. Intelligent enough to understand speech, but incapable of speaking themselves. They are willful creatures largely motivated by the desire for food. Am I drunk? I thought we had a dragon elf already given to us in fizz bands, but it was like, hold on, I'm going to the shelf. This is the, this is not the first dragon elf we've seen. Okay, yeah, so just give me a sec here with fizz bands in front of me. Dragon elves, we were given these from Fizzband's Treasury of Dragons. Makes sense because um, Fizzband himself is from Dragonlance, so it makes sense to include it. Uh, the dragon elves there have riders on saddles. The dragon elf artwork here, they have barding almost, like a, like armor on their heads and necks and tails and, and legs. Um, they're large creatures in both. The ones in Fizzband's are typically neutral. The ones here are... Lawful evil or chaotic good, depending on which side they're on. But again, they're large dragon type with intelligence of eight, which means they understand common and draconic, but they can't speak it. Uh, that's true across the board. And it looks like they are generally give or take very similar stats. Um, the three different kinds differ a little bit. Uh, the chaotic good ones have a acid spit. None of the others. So the other ones don't have that. Um, oh, it says in Fizzbands here that uh, with the DM's permission, a paladin can summon a spirit in the form of a Dragonel using the Find Greater Steed spell, which is from Xanathar's, I believe. Um, neat. So you can ride these fuckers. Honestly, if you're playing in this campaign, you clearly should be riding one of these. Uh, that is a construct with teeth that looks like a horrible drone. Okay, uh, with marble and metal, that's neat. Uh, Consoldi Fire Eyes is a human cleric. She looks batshit crazy. Um, Kender Skirmisher, Lord Soth, CR 19. Legendary Actions, um, Word of Death Once a Day. It, it works as a power word kill. It's weird when they do that. I'm not sure I like the direction of that because can you counterspell it then? I guess not. Fuck. Okay. I have so many thoughts about this. Uh, Western Kern, Skeletal Knights, Red Ruin, Sidekicks. We get specific sidekicks here that are NPCs that are laid out. Um, there's neat ones. There's uh, an elf, a humor, a uh, humor, <laughs> an elf, a 
Kender, a human, a dwarf, another human, and another human. It looks like the humans are all from different factions. Sidekick levels. Um, oh, so if it, they all have these little charts. Uh, each one has a progression chart about what they get for um, for hit points and for an extra thing that they can do at different levels. So they can technically level up as well. So that's that's neat. It's laid out. It doesn't use your standard uh, sidekick rules that we got from Tasha's. Again, why not consistency? Doesn't matter. Moving on. Uh, after that, we get uh, some artwork, uh, some map. This is the map of the Northern Wastes without the... Okay, so this is good. Uh, it doesn't have the uh, A, B, C, D indicators on it, so that you can actually, in Appendix E, show your players this map if they come across the map in-game without the, hey, here are the areas to go information or them seeing another page. So page 223 has a map you can show them. There is a map of the continent of Ancelon uh, on the final page of the book, as well as that's what it looks like. Uh, that's the map that you can tear out of the book as well. Uh, there is no other side of that one. Uh, so it's a one-sided map, which is disappointing. Sometimes they have two sides, but uh, but it does look very beautiful and very intricate. Like there's, I think that they've done, from my perspective a decent uh, job of hitting the big important locations that fans of Dragonlance would know um, and will introduce new fans to it as well without it being um, too dense like some of Eberron is pretty freaking dense so normally we go back and forth now we roll initiative um, I am not going to well sure here I got a three I'm going first um, so First of all, what are the overall impressions of the content of this book? I feel like this book will... The adventure itself has such specific and rich flavor for the areas that as a dungeon master when I'm going through it, I can feel how each portion of each chapter is different from previous ones. I'm always concerned that my Waterdeep will feel similar to my Baldur's Gate, that a marketplace is a marketplace is a marketplace no matter my setting, I don't get that impression from this book. The locations and the settings in the adventure all seem to be very specific, very inspired, very unique, um, and therefore memorable. And that's what you're looking for out of a campaign, right? You want your players to remember the beats of your campaign for years. That's how you know you did a good job. It's how I measure my efficiency as a dungeon master. When I say to my players, hey, remember this? They go, yes. And then they can tell me the details of it. Even if it was three, four years ago in a random encounter or uh, a a not a set piece, like just something this week, we've got seven encounters to get through. This one happened to be encounter number four. I flushed it out with, a, with an interesting troll. They remember it, right? And they've got a visual idea in their head. Of, they know the flow of how it went and why each city is unique. That means that I've done a good job not only designing, but also describing and also managing the game and uh, presenting that information to them. This book, I feel, does that very well. However, as a dungeon master, I do not know Dragonlance. Which means I will be relying on the lore provided in the first couple sections of the book, and there's not a lot. Which means 
I could, if I have a player at the table who is a fan of Dragonlance, they will know more than me. And while that may be true no matter what, I do not have tools here to keep up. That's a huge detractor as a DM. They will never, ever, ever suspend their disbelief if my world is not appropriately fleshed out. Yes, there are online tools. Yes, there are novels. Yes, there are probably um, YouTube videos at the ass about Dragonlance. However, it takes so much time and effort to prep a campaign in the first place, to prep a session in the first place. If I have to double that on research for the world because my players may come across it, but that might not actually matter as well. Like, I might do that prep and have it go fucking nowhere. If you're like me, you're, you're cool with that. Sure, that's fine. If you're like the average person, though... Uh, you don't have the fucking time for that, man. I live and breathe D&D, and I got a D&D podcast. I literally tell my friends, hey, go research this shit. You're talking about it next week. Which means that we do big deep dives in this. The average person doesn't. You have time to maybe listen to a podcast on your way into work. Or maybe read a quick wiki article. But not necessarily go to go down the rabbit hole over and over and over again. So that you have the details right for a two-hour session right? Every week. Like, that's a lot of research. I'm not wild about that. Um, it looks like they fixed the Kender. It looks like they fixed the Kender. We will goddamn see. Um, a lot of the creatures in here are undead or dragon type. Um, interesting. Curious. Uh, not what I was expecting. There's not a whole lot in the way of monstrosities. Like, I saw an ogre and, and there are, you know, clearly goblins running around. But uh, I didn't get any chimeras or anything else. Now, they may be on some random tables in there, but this does feel like this is a land of intelligent creatures and dragons and undead. There's not a whole lot in the way of, um, like, there's one construct. I saw artwork for a plant monster in the middle of one of the chapters, but I didn't actually see the stat block. I might have missed it, but um, I didn't see, like, a huge stat block for this really cool-looking plant creature. And even if there was, that was only one. Um, the, I didn't see any oozes in here. Like, we're not getting the big, dangerous world of the Forgotten Realms. Dragonlance, and that's one thing about Dragonlance, take it or leave it. This is not a kitchen sink level fantasy realm. Not the way that even Lord of the Rings had sections, like, deep in these woods, there's this totally fucked up weird creature. Like, um... The Watcher in the Water outside of Moria that attacked the party with all those fucking tentacles. What the shit was that about? Never explained. Here we go. Uh, next thing you know, um, Cave Troll and then Balrog. Like, there's just a bunch of shit going on there. Uh, not necessarily what the story was talking about, but there's a bunch of shit going on. Um, you know that there were huge, deep, dark, monstrous areas where Shelob was hiding. Like, there, there's not necessarily that feel in Dragonlance. It is medieval with dragons, and the dragon queen, Tachesis, so Tiamat, um, is on the warpath again with a bunch of undead shit. Lord Soth is a death knight. Um, we have uh, death dragons, and there's a bunch of other knights and uh, what looks like undead shit. There's artwork for maybe ghosts. Um, so we're getting a lot of that flavor, too. I feel like Fifth Ed leans heavily on... Um, undead and since fizz bands dragons as well uh and i mean dragons it's in the title but i'm ready to see other things 
Um, I'm always excited when I get a book of aberrations like Boo's Astral Menagerie. Um, that was not enough by a fucking sight, but I'm excited when we get information like that. But I'll say this, the artwork in this, goddamn incredible. They knock it out of the park again. Uh, I have been fairly pleased with the artwork in, um, official D&D material since Rhyme of the Frostmaiden. Rhyme of the Frostmaiden was good, but it was always blue tinged and kind of fuzzy looking. And I, I don't know, it was evocative and cold, but very barren and bleak. Uh, and I know that's what it was supposed to be, but I mean, Descent into Avernus is barren and bleak too. It had all sorts of fucking flavor in it. So I'm going to give this book off of my first run through on this. Um, I'm, I'm going to be honest. As much as I just ripped on Rhyme of the Frostmaiden, I have not been interested in running a campaign myself since the Icewind Dale book. I'm interested in running or playing this game. Um, if I were going to play it, I would hope that someone would go out and get a uh, box set um, so we can play the board game part of it. I, I want the whole experience. If this is as big and epic and broadly scoped as it looks like it is, and you're running around in the background as big shit is going on, and that is really the feeling that I'm getting here, then exploring what that big epic shit is is kind of the fun of it as well. Um, so I, I'm giving this a C plus with an asterisk. Um, they needed to do better on the lore. I feel like it is incomplete because it doesn't have the board game. That being said, what it does provide, and this has been kind of the theme of the last few publications, what it gives us is okay. What it leaves out is not. The quantity is not okay. But the quality very much is. I'm curious to know in the months coming up, assuming people stop fucking worrying about one D&D, it's playtest people, we'll get there. Assuming people stop worrying about that and start to actually dig into um, what these books are for 5th edition, um, we'll start to get some reviews from people that have played the game or that know things about Dragonlance. Um, as someone new who is sitting down and wants to play a dragon campaign, I know that Horde of the Dragon Queen and Rise of Tiamat are um, extensive. They go longer. They're more in-depth. I also know that Terry has to homebrew a bunch of shit for his campaign. And I also know that um, they're imbalanced and from very, very early in 5th edition. So people complain about them quite a bit. What I've looked into has been largely underwhelming. This feels epic. The problem is, so does the price tag because you need the freaking limited edition board game with it, right? Um, I'm a little annoyed that they don't sell the board game separately. Because what if you don't want to spend 200 and whatever dollars because of the DM screen? I've got, I've got a whole bunch of DM screens already. I, I want, you know, the book. And if the book inspires me enough, I'll get the board game, which it has. I wish I could just go out and buy the board game now. Instead, I've got to go buy the whole damn set. So I'll have two copies of the book. I'm recording this before Christmas. If anybody out there wants to buy me a Christmas present and give me the freaking Dragonlance Deluxe Edition board game, I'd be thrilled. That'd be great. Um, but I don't see myself doing that, and so it's a no-buy for me. Uh, the C-plus with an asterisk, I think that this has great potential and great fun. If you're already going to do it, this is everything you need. If you're already a fan of Dragonlance, this is a fun representation of. This is not do any sort of adventure in the setting like Eberron and Ravnica and Strixhaven were. This is... 
Here is a very specific adventure, and here is the information you need to know about the setting to do this specific adventure. Spelljammer did the same thing. What it provides is fine. It's not fucking enough. When should you add this publication to your library? Um, if you're a Dragonlance fan, yeah, buy it. It's, it's good. If you're looking for a dragon campaign, yes, buy it. It's good. If you are looking to flesh out your library to go digging for the player options, there's not a whole lot in here. Um, you'd probably be further ahead buying that content piecemeal off of uh, D&D Beyond. Um, it looks like they are focusing on a few of the big named bad guys from Dragonlance. Uh, I don't recognize any of the names outside of Lord Soth and Takesis. So I can't comment on whether or not we have um, famous good guys walking around as NPCs here. I don't know. Fizban didn't pop up in this. Um, but, I mean, he's dicking over around in, uh, in the Forgotten Realms, pretending to not be Bahamut. So... Who knows what's going on with that? Again, it's a weird blend. But should you buy this? Not yet. Um, this will be, I think, the best adventure that you can buy. This and uh, Acquisitions Incorporated will be the best two books that you buy for running an adventure when you're fleshing out the second half of your fifth edition library. What it gives you is good. There are better, more interesting, more classic, more well-balanced books that don't rely on you to have a board game. I like this. I'm glad I own it. I love the limited bestiary that they have here. Again, it's not enough, but I love it. The artwork is incredibly beautiful, and I'm very, very stoked about having this on my shelf. But I have every D&D book on my shelf. I'm going to buy the next one because that is what this series is about. I buy them so you don't have to. So you know whether or not you need to, or whether or not you may want to, because... I don't know, man. Is anybody else getting really sick and tired of the the two different flip sides of the D&D community? Every time there's a new publication, it's either marketing, buy our new cool shit, uh, or, hey, we're clearly sponsored by Watsy, or we want to be, so buy the really cool new shit, or, hey, you know what? Here's a top ten reasons why this is a bad book, and it's either people bitching or it's clickbait. Like, fuck's sakes. Anyway. Anyways. That's it for this bizarre, weird little episode on Dragonlance Shadow of the Dragon Queen. Uh, hopefully someday I'll get the big deluxe, uh, deluxe box and uh, and run another version of this. Uh, actually dig a little bit deeper into it. Uh, but you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, and YouTube, as well as dozens of other podcast apps. You can also email us at info at or head over to www.itsamimic.com and support us by hitting that donate button or buying some merch. There's no host too, so I'm going to keep talking. Thanks for listening to the It's a Mimic podcast, and make sure to check out more Legend Lore episodes as we cover new releases as they happen. For deeper dives into specific content, check out the playlists that we've built on YouTube, or browse the episode guide online. And again, I hope you had a happy holidays. <laughs>
Okay, so one D and D. Let me get into this really quickly. We've had a couple of the um, of the PDFs that have been published. Uh, they're clearly taking place uh, instead of the unearthed arcana. Um, arcana. I've heard it pronounced both ways, and arcana has got me second guessing myself now. Anyway, <clears throat> anyway, one D and D is up in the air. It is playtest, uh, and all of this stuff is going to get scrubbed from uh, publication the same way that they scrub uh, that they scrubbed all of the D and D next shit. When you're on Reddit and you want to go to the actual D and D stuff, don't go to D and D art slash D and D. That's just full of people's like artwork and shit. Like memes and stuff. Um, the actual one is D&D Next. Because that was one that was made when 5th edition was still in its infancy. The way that one D&D will be whatever the next editions. Whether it's 5.5 or 6. Or they'll call it some new fancy super extreme Dungeons and Dragons. Like whatever it is. They will... It'll still be in the one D&D subreddit. Because that's that's how this shit works and evolves online. Um... But there's no actual D&D Next material to buy anymore. If you go back, I have tried to find the playtest material that they released for 5th edition. And I can't find it. I, not in any legal um, sites or anything. So I I look at 1D&D from a podcasting standpoint as uh, us addressing it as clickbaity. And it's dishonest to you, the listeners. Uh, yes, I have opinions. Of course I have opinions. I'm reading it all and I've got half an eye on it, but every time I have a conversation with anybody, whether it's Dan or Charlie, who's one of my players on, on uh, Sundays, or um, uh, Megan and I were talking about it the other day, Dave won't shut up uh, about it, and like, we keep talking about it and weighing the options, and we're in the middle of this massive campaign, they just started, uh, they just hit level 5, right, so they just got out of tier 1, and 1 D&D is going to launch in the middle of our campaign, and I've already decided that we're going to stick with 5th edition because clearly the subclasses and the feats and things are not going to port over nicely. And it looks like the character creation is going to be radically different as well as a lot of the basic rules like like criticals and jumping and and advantage and inspiration. Like they're kind of redesigning a lot of this shit in the playtest. And I can tell you right now it's not all going to make it in there. So anybody who's sitting here worrying about it or saying it's bullshit and D&D is dying and here's the top 10 reasons why, they're overreacting and they're doing it for listens and clicks. They're doing it to sell their fucking commercials. I am not interested in doing that. If we never get another sponsor again, I will be a little heartbroken because I, like, I, I love this podcast and I would love to do more shows for it. Um, and it's not cheap to do. This is a full-blown second job for me at this point. But, um, but if we never have another sponsor, I don't care. We're going to keep telling the fucking truth on this. And the truth of the matter is one D and D play testing does not matter to 99% of the people playing everyone from Alexander and other skip Davis, um, who is playing in earlier previous editions, uh, who talks to us all the time. He's not going to give a shit about one D and D except out of curiosity, right? It's not going to impact his weekly games. Uh, all the way through to a lot of the players that have been picking it up because of Critical Role. If you listen to Critical Role, you will play by whatever Critical Role rules are. I'm curious to see if Matt Mercer and Critical Role swap to 1D&D rules when whatever the new edition is that drops in 2024. I'm curious to see. If they do it, then the fandom, the zeitgeist, will head in that direction. 
Uh, and if that's the case, then uh, it has enough interest that it's worth us digging into. Uh, but fifth edition has a lot of stuff that we haven't addressed yet uh, on the main podcast as well as this specific series. I am eager to go through the backlog of books and figure out whether or not Rise of Tiamat, uh, Out of the Abyss, or Baldur's Gate are worth buying. What order? What, what ranking do we give them? Let's dig into it. Let's see what did, what were the high points and the low points of the official publications from Wizards of the Coast for 5th edition. Additionally, on top of that, the for the It's a Mimic podcast itself, we haven't dug into Undead. We've never focused on Fey. We haven't. We have never really touched on Drow, except as a playable race uh, in that one Elves episode, like 150 episodes ago, right? There are large swaths of the lore that we have not gotten into, uh, and it's because I'm waiting for the right people with the right interest and the right conversation uh, to present itself, so that we can dig into that appropriately. Um, the Giants special with Megan and Casey, uh, both of those, season one and season two, phenomenal. I love what they're bringing to the table. They are so freaking entertaining to listen to. Um, they're not doing big mechanical deep dives. They do mechanical deep dives, but it's not crunchy as shit the way that, you know, that like Kyle and Jeff and, and Dan would do. They're in it for the inspiration. And that's kind of where we need to be with a lot of this stuff. Um, and I'm getting to the point now with the new direction that we're heading in, um, starting in like a week or two, um, things are getting a little bit of a, a shuffle here and I'm really, really excited to see what 2023 has to bring, um, for it's a mimic, but what it's a mimic could talk about is fifth edition, because that is what we know. That is what you know. That's what you're playing. Everything else is speculation. And so we would just be sitting here running our mouths so that we can get more clicks because the titles of those YouTube videos matter. I'm not interested I find that disingenuous, and there's a reason I consider myself a DM on a podcast and not a podcaster, because I don't want to sell my fucking soul for this. Um, neither do the rest of my uh, friends that are here on this um, on this channel, this RSS feed. We are all here for the love of D&D, not for the will we, won't we be an influencer. So there's your honest-to-God truth about why we're not covering one D&D. A- it doesn't matter. They're going to rewrite it all anyone. B, it's clickbaity and we don't feel the need to sell our souls on that shit. No offense to anybody else who's digging into it. I'm sure that there are people with actual altruistic reasons for, or just curiosities for digging into this stuff, but that's not what we're in here for. The same reason that we're a D&D podcast that runs Call of Cthulhu actual plays, <laughs> right? Uh, we're going to do the things that we know that we're interested in and that are going to be high enough quality. Uh, to bring it back. So there we go. There's like my little post-credit rant for you guys that uh, on the end of a Dragonlance um, episode. And I guess that kind of makes sense. I, I, is it weird to anybody else that Dragonlance comes out as they're ringing the death knell for 5th edition? Yes, yes, backwards compatible. Fuck off. I don't, I don't believe that for a goddamn second. And if you do, you're fooling yourself. Unless they've got a solid 40-page a solid chapter in the new Dungeon Master's Guide in a year and a half or whenever it comes out about how to make the previous campaign, uh, like the adventures, the modules, uh, backwards compatible. Unless they give you a legit guide to do it, it's not backwards compatible. They're saying that so they don't piss off fans and chase people away. But your wizard today is not going to look like what a wizard looks like in 2025. Your advantage, your inspiration, your 
your superiority dice, your subclasses, they will not look the same. We're swapping the the way that uh, ability scores are impacted during character creation now is being done on backgrounds. I bet that's probably going to stay. Um, and I like that. I think that that makes a lot of sense. I wish there would also be some consideration to that shit because I find it to be an overreaction and again, disingenuous for you to say, hey, a halfling and a dragonborn are identical except when one of them was raised on the streets and one of them was raised as a noble. Bullshit. There are fucking species differences there and call it species and then move the fuck on, right? Anyway, anyway, let's not have that fucking rant again. Um, I I am so used to having someone else sitting across the table, like twirling their fingers at me to hurry the fuck up. So uh, here you get this long ass ramble. But yeah, we're not going to dig into one D&D the same way we didn't dig into Unearthed Arcana. By the time that we researched it, checked it against everything else, um, recorded an episode, edited the episode and posted the episode, it would have been out in the next book already or everything we said would be useless two months from now. And this is my problem with these wacky new, a new Xanathar's book came out. We're going to sit here and do a new kind of build. Did you see that with this feat, you can do this? Oh, that is so clickbaity. And that is so not that you are just creating content for the sake of content. And that is not what we're doing here. We're creating content because we're inspired about it. And when we are not inspired, that content screeches to a halt until we become inspired again. See the aforementioned Call of Cthulhu. Um, which I'm actually having a lot of fun editing the next one right now. Um, but it's <laughs> problematic to, for edit, for editing purposes. Technically, it's a pain in the ass, but I'm having a lot of fun with it. Anyway, that's why the campaign builder fell by the wayside as well. Uh, we hit capacity and our passion for it was not good enough to warrant it. Now, however, I am very much back into the headspace of the campaign builder. And I know that I'm not the only one. So, spoiler alert. We'll probably be seeing that in the very near future um, in some sort of new um, incarnation. So anyway, to wrap it all up, as far as the 1D&D books go, we won't know until they publish official material. I'm not going to comment on shit I don't know about. Um, and I don't believe that anybody, anybody that is out there doing the deep dives on comparisons between one edition and the other that crunch that math is also actually sitting down and playing multiple sessions with anybody they're play testing it for an afternoon to see if they like it they're not seeing whether or not this supports a campaign and there's no way to be able to tell because you're getting bits and pieces dribbles of it at a time and by the time the fifth one comes out the rules have changed and the first two of the first two have been um amended and updated for the fifth one like, you are never going to get a clear view of this because it is organic, it is growing, it is not the finished product. We are it literally in beta testing. So we can tell what the pain points are, but we at It's a Mimic are not going to add anything new to that conversation that you can't find on a Discord channel or a subreddit um, or an angry message board somewhere. Uh, there are going to be enough YouTube channels and TikTok channels or, or TikTok feeds, videos. What is it that people have? Create creations? I don't know. There are enough people out there talking about it right now. And I am telling you, they're not adding anything important to the conversation because the only people that are doing anything important are the people that are replying to the playtests in a genuine, honest review 
of the material because they have interacted with this playtest material the way it was designed to be interacted with. And even then, most of the feedback, I believe anyway, is just a bunch of angry fucking nerds that are not currently in a D&D game randomly typing based on what they think their white room theory crafting character creation bullshit based on what D&D used to look like back in... 2nd edition or 3rd edition or War Pathfinder. I liked it better when it was like this. Great, man. That is not what this shit is about. And there's already enough white noise. There's already enough horse shit out there. We don't need to add to it. Um, because it would be self-serving at best. And a waste at worst. So, um, so anyway, that's, that's kind of why we're not going to get into that. Um, thank you, though, for the 10,000 people that have asked us to dig into it. I love the idea that that, not actually 10,000, that was hyperbolic. Um, 12, the 12 people that have each separately asked about it, um, which is a lot when it comes in in a landslide. Um, we appreciate the fact that you want to know what our opinions are on it. Um, it's flattering to think that you think so highly of, of our opinions. Uh, but I'm going to tell you this, your fifth edition is different than my fifth edition. And that's what this podcast is about. That's what this whole channel is about. As we will have heard by the time this releases on the Christmas episodes, Megan, Kyle, and Dave DM very different styles. As you can hear on a lot of the other actual plays, Dan, Terry, and I DM in very different styles. Our different perspectives coming together and having conversations. The irony on this fucking episode with only one host. Um, these different perspectives um, is what makes this podcast unique and in my opinion worthwhile your opinion at your table matters more than anything i say in a podcast or anyone else's and that's the god honest truth so we're here to inspire and to excite and and to give information and to have opinions um to get people to think about it but really we're here to start the conversation so you can think about how you would do it in your game that's what the one D&D playtest is. They're providing you the information so that you can make up your own decisions. If you want to engage with that material, go do it yourself. That will be a more honest and more useful, more worthwhile um, engagement with that material uh, than us or any other podcast or YouTube show or anything else out there telling you what's good, what's bad, and why. And it's going to be more honest than the people that aren't playing D&D theory crafting about it. Get a bunch of friends together for three consecutive weekends, roll some dice, try it out, and give legitimate feedback. We can't do any of that shit on a podcast. It wouldn't matter anyway. Anyway, I hope you have a happy holidays. I hope that you managed to spend some time with your loved ones that you liked and avoided the loved ones that you don't like. Um, and uh, we are coming up to a very uh, difficult time of year. The holidays are rough, but nobody really talks about um, the god-awful dredge between Christmas and Easter when the sun starts to shine again, um, where it is dark all the time, it is rainy and cold and gross, and everyone is overwhelmed by the holidays, so they're isolating themselves a little bit. Um, I know that in uh, males between the ages of 24 and 39, which is the majority of our demographic here, um, I know that self-harm and suicide attempts and whatnot uh, go through the roof this time of year as people feel uh, invalidated and unimportant. And I want you to know that you are important. Um, you are valid. And if you are struggling over the next couple of months, 
um, you can feel free to reach out. We got your back on this uh, because we're all in this shit together. And if I can be honest, nobody feels isolation like nerds do. Um, and, uh, especially role playing where we have big epic things in our minds. Uh, and then we go to our fucking minimum wage jobs and, and slave through another fucking day. Um, take care of yourselves. I hope that the new shit that we're doing in the new year and the new kind of, uh, it's a mimic can add a little, uh, sparkle to things. I hope that we will continue to laugh and inspire. Uh, I know that it's hard for everybody. Um, and the world is a dark and nasty place in general right now. And, uh, and I hope that you'll reach out to someone that you know cares for you if you need them. And hey, if you're one of the handful of like strangely well-adjusted people out there, I've heard that you exist. I've, I've, I've never met one uh, in reality. Check in on your quiet friends. Even check in on the ones that seem to be doing okay. Depressed people and addicts are the best liars. It doesn't hurt to reach out.